welcome to the Innovating Purpose podcast, where I'm striving to live intentionally and seeking clarity for new and young readers. I think it's evident we need to pray, so let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the prayers of the people that are here today. I sense that um, many of us come with uh, a lot of things and that we've been thinking about this week. Perhaps it's been trials and struggles. Perhaps it's been doubts and fears. Or perhaps we've had really good conversations and joys this week. Lord, as we gather, we do it to please you. And we do it for your glory. So help us in these moments, Lord, to appreciate the movement of the Holy Spirit, the promptings that you give us, in moments like these. Help us to be obedient, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm delighted today to uh, begin a new series uh, following the words of Jesus. And I want to look at these promises from Jesus But before we get to John chapter 14 today, I'm thinking a lot about vows and promises a lot this week. And as I've considered this, I've really reflected on how Jesus made a pretty simple statement, but so profound in Matthew 5, verse 37. When he tells us that when we say yes, let our yes be yes or yes, I will. And when we say no, let it be the simple, no, I won't. Because as humans, we struggle to make promises and actually follow through. In our humanness, we know we can't always follow through. So as I begin studying about specifically John 14 through 17, And I entitled this message and these series of messages, The Promises of Jesus. You better be careful whenever you entitle something, The Promises of Jesus. You better be accurate. You better make sure that these truly are the promises of Jesus. Because I don't want to misquote Jesus. I don't want to misinterpret his words. Because they bring life. And they bring truth. And they bring joy. So I say today, Lord, may my yes be my yes. May my no be my no. And as I speak through these words, and as I try to articulate the the promises of Jesus, may that ring true in our hearts and our minds. You see, as we open and uh, turn on our apps and we go to John chapter 14, we miss a lot. Chapters 1 through 13 are vibrant and true and wonderful. But I want us to enter into chapter 14 
with an understanding of what Jesus is preparing us, not just the disciples, but us, the church, 2020, how he is asking us to prepare. And really, he's, he's on this course that is leading him towards the cross. It's this dissension plan almost. He's leading towards his death. But as I flip the table there, I imagine this is really his ascension plan. Not just his death and dying and going to the grave, but this is his going to the cross, dying for our sins, and then raising from the dead so that he could ascend to his place in glory to be able to satisfy the problem. So this truly isn't a dissension plan. This isn't a plan that leads to death. This is Christ's ascension plan, taking us towards the beautiful story of how he is winning us, the church, 2020, back to himself. You may not have been on a plane recently. I don't know very many that still travel all the time. Some do, obviously. But when you get on the plane, there's kind of two, two moments that people typically get nervous about. It's that takeoff, and it's that landing. All the stuff in the middle, people are okay with, because you're just kind of coasting along. Unless you hit turbulence, there's another stuff there. But as I considered that, that illustration, I want us to consider the landing, that dissension, that coming down and landing the plane. There's a lot that goes into it. The pilot and the co-pilot need to be prepared. There's a lot of action and activity in the cabin. We see that the flight attendants are finding their seat. They're trying to buckle things down and make sure things are ready. The pilot tells you that we're heading towards the landing Everyone's getting in place. The pilot's locked in. He's prepared for this moment. There's big moments ahead, the landing gear, and then that moment you've been waiting for, the touchdown to ground again. And it's that kind of that sigh of relief. There's a lot that went into it. But sometimes we just look at, I think if I compare the two illustrations, I look at the cross, and I know that Jesus rose from the dead. So I don't really focus on the cross a whole lot. But there are moments that are wrapped up in Jesus preparing for the cross that I see in this story of John 14 through 17 that he's saying, pay attention. I'm about to land the plane. I'm about to finish my course. I'm about to finish the task that is before me. These will be my final messages to you, the church. This is the moment for us to wake up, to pay attention, to see that Jesus isn't just preparing the disciples and myself included and yourself, if you follow Jesus as well. He's, he's not just preparing them for an hour from now, or a week from now, or a month from now, or a year from now. He's preparing us 2,000 years later for a moment when we would be without Jesus. But he's also preparing us for what it will be like to have the Holy Spirit. When he's sending his ambassador, his Holy Spirit, to be with us, to live within us. So as I connect with this, as I 
understand this in a new thorough way. I've, I've been so prepare, prepared for, Lord, would you teach me today? Lord, would you help me to see these words and to see what you are teaching? So if you'd open your Bibles with me, if you can keep it open with this wind. John chapter 14, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 14. Starts off very clearly as he says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. (laughs) Thomas speaks up. No, we don't know, Lord. We have no idea where you are going. So how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. And from from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replies, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. As we study this passage today, and as we study passages in the future that are surrounding in this context, I want to ask some questions, and I also want to try and explore something else. Sometimes I, I get the sense that when I, when I articulate God's word or I teach, that I've got it all figured out. And I don't want you to assume that I've got it all figured out. When I read this, I still have questions as well. And so I want to take some moments to even ask some questions that I'm still wrestling with. Because I think that's healthy, that we all appreciate and understand this is a life journey to study God's word. And it doesn't all just immediately sink in right to the bone and go, oh, I get it. I understand everything Jesus just said. But I want to ask first, before we get to that question for myself, what is the promise or what are the promises of the passage here today? I could focus on many of them. 
Obviously, there is one that you could probably sense that I have a, a big desire to preach a, a sermon on one of the verses, and you probably see that in verse 6. That verse is powerful. John 14, 6 so beautifully articulates what Jesus is communicating, and the promise is this. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. That is a promise from Jesus. If you know him as Lord and Savior, he is your way to heaven. He is the truth of eternity past, eternity future, all-knowing, omniscient. He is everywhere all at once. It is all wrapped up in that phrase. And true life is found in him. That is the promises of verse 6. I also saw some other promises that stood out to me. When Jesus communicates throughout this, it's subtle, but it's there. Be right with God. Be in a right relationship with God. It is so beautifully articulated when he's saying to the disciples as they are so confused, they don't know where he's going. They don't understand. They don't know the Father. They just want to see the Father. And he says, you have seen the Father. Let me tell you the way to the Father. You've seen me. You've seen the Father. You want to know the way to heaven? It's through me, Jesus Christ. He articulates one more promise. When he says, and I don't want us to take this out of context, I don't want you to walk away and grab verse 14 and think that this is the one that you can just say and it'll fix everything. But he does say, ask for anything in my name and I will do it. Don't miss it. If we take this one out of context, it sounds like he's a genie. It sounds like we can just be like, well, Jesus, I want you to fix my car. Why don't you fix my car? He's communicating from the perspective of the Father. He says, if you know the Father, if you are in relationship with the Father, if you know the Son, Jesus, you are in relationship with the Son, then ask of the Lord because you are in communication. You are in relationship, communion with the Father, so your heartbeat will be God's heartbeat. So when you ask of the Lord, you're in essence saying, Lord, would I desire what you desire? Your will be done. That is in essence what is being communicated here, not some magical thing. This is God wanting relationship with his people, and saying, ask in my name, and it will be given to you. Make sure your motives are pure in your ask. I want us to focus for a few moments on the picture that sits here beside me. Isn't this a captivating picture so many pictures, I feel like, fall short of trying to capture Jesus. But this, to me, really captures the heartbeat of John verses, chapter 14 through 17. This really is focused on 17, but it's going to be up for a few weeks. So I wanted you to hear why. As Jesus prays for us, 
intercedes for us. It's hard for me to understand how the God of the universe could send his son and that his son would be praying for you and I. But I imagine it looks a lot like this. Yes, this is the moments of in the garden when this is, it's trying to capture the moments when Jesus is crying out to his father, if it's your will, take this cup from me, but if your will be done, Lord. But I also see these beautiful prayers that Jesus is praying for us, the church of today, interceding for us and, and communicating with us that they may be one even as we are one. Jesus speaks to the unity that he desired for us, the church, to have. And these messages, my hope is that we are truly captivated by this prayer posture we see from our Lord Jesus. I love the vines that sit on here as well. They communicate to me that Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches. Stay connected to the vine. Stay connected to the Father. <laughs> Life can get pretty tough, and the wind can blow pretty good, and I'm sure hoping this thing stays up for the whole service to really illustrate that this vine is secure. But don't quote me on it if it falls over. <laughs> it's not my fault. Be connected to the vine. Be connected to the Father. Be connected to the Son and praying to the Lord today. What else is this passage teaching me? Well, when it says in the beginning in verse 1, don't let your hearts be troubled. Isn't that a curious phrase? Does anybody else have a troubled heart? Whether it be physically, relationally, emotionally. Our hearts get troubled. We get wounded. We struggle with so many things. So how could Jesus say, don't let your hearts be troubled? Maybe it would better articulate what troubled the heart of Jesus. Because he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. But when are the few times that Jesus articulates that his heart was troubled. I want to know what troubled God's heart because if we're supposed to be one with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in relationship with them, then what troubles God's heart should trouble my heart and your heart. Jesus was troubled in three different passages that I want to look at today. John 11:33. Lazarus has just died. Jesus enters the scene and many people are struggling. Mourners are there, weeping. Jesus should have arrived earlier, but he didn't, and his friend died. As a child, my favorite verse to, to quote was John eleven thirty five 35, because I could remember it. Jesus wept. But when you really recognize what meant for Jesus, I have a hard time fathoming what it means for God to weep. We see a little bit more intimately what Jesus was struggling with. 
He sees the people mourning. He sees a fresh reality, a fresh taste of death. And what sin of all people leads us towards death. But he saw the despair in the death. But he genuinely loved and cared for his brother, Lazarus, and the family. He cared for his people. And we know that he rose Lazarus from the dead. But isn't it interesting that he paused and was troubled? So relationally, emotionally, if someone's struggling, may we be sensitive to that, pay attention to people in the midst of their trial, their struggle, their grief, and truly care for them as Jesus did. John 12, verse 27, Jesus is troubled again. He's troubled about his upcoming trial and persecution and his ultimate death. It's hard to know the mind of Christ, but I have to think that he who knew no sin, because scriptures say that Jesus knew no sin, he never sinned, as he's burdened and he is grieved and troubled to his core. I have to imagine that for the first time, he was going to know what it meant to take on the sins of the world. He who knew no sin would take on or put on sin for us. And then in chapter 13 of John, verse 21, To see one who he had walked with for quite a, t a season, a couple of years, to see Judas Iscariot betray him, and this troubled him. These illustrations, the, although there are more times when Jesus is troubled and grieved, and even with sometimes righteous anger, assure me and help me to remember that when we are troubled, ask yourself, am I troubled for the right reason? Am I troubled because they have offended me or bothered me or led me to worry and anxiety? Or am I troubled because that person doesn't know God? Am I troubled by the sins that that person or myself included have entered into, do these cause me grief when I see my brother or sister in sin? I hope that in the midst of trouble, you can think to yourself, Lord, help me to hear your heart. Help me to listen to you, God in the midst of this trial and this struggle. I want you to hear some of my questions as we continue. Even though I've just taught on it, I still want you to hear that this is a question on my heart. How could the God of this universe be troubled? 
That's a mind-boggling thing. He who created all, knows all, is with us in our midst. How could he be troubled? And without entering into too much of an answer, it reassures me that he is full of emotion. But he's pure in his motives and in his action. I ask myself, was God troubled because he lacked faith? And the answer is quickly no. He knew and he knows. And I ask myself, was his struggle the same as mine? This is kind of a dual-sided coin. His troubles are different than mine because they are pure and holy. But we also see in Scripture that he experienced everything we experienced. We see that in Hebrews articulated so well. But his struggle is at the God level, and I'm stuck in the human level. I think all of you share that with me. His struggles are so far out of reach for my mind to comprehend. I have to say, Lord, would you reveal to me how I can be in tune with you? I'm reassured in this season that he knows my heart and he knows my mind. He knows what I'm thinking and he knows what I'm struggling with. So here are the questions that I want to ask of myself and for you today. Does sin trouble you? Whether it's your sin or sins of others. Let me ask another question. When people worship themselves or the desires of their eyes, does this trouble you? We all worship something. You have to ask yourself, am I worshiping myself? Am I worshiping a God of my own making? Or am I worshiping the God of the universe? And then I ask this one. Am I troubled by the things that trouble God? That's the only thing that should trouble me. If it troubles the heart of God, I should be troubled with that. Back to the teaching. I look deeper into this passage and the elements that begin to rise to the surface, even in spite of my struggle to understand or to, un to communicate what Jesus is teaching here. The elements that start to rise to the surface, and I want to speak to verse 6 again in John chapter 14, when it says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's focus on that in a new and maybe a fresh way here today. Or maybe it's something you've heard before, but this is a moment where it may, maybe it sinks in to the, the bone level. Maybe even gets into the marrow of the bone and it gets into your core. 
When Jesus says that he is the way, recognize this. If you are looking for a true, real, worthwhile life, it can only come from Jesus. You see, he is God. And when you think of way, I think of the word path. And if he is the way to God, then he is the only path to God. And there are many paths, but are you on the right path that goes towards God? And as we think of truth, there is only one way to experience the promises and the truth of Jesus Christ, to acknowledge and to believe that he is the truth. When you study, when you listen, when you read God's word, do you say, God, reveal your truth to me? And isn't it wonderful to see the truths of Scripture revealed to simple man? I love to see the light bulb come on in people's eyes and in their heart when they understand that Jesus is the truth. There is no error in him. He is all truth, all good, all righteousness wrapped up in God. When I think of life, if you want real life, eternal life, life that says that you will be joined with the Father in heaven, which is what Jesus communicates in John 14. If you want to really have life with him, then the bond that you are seeking, the, the life that you are seeking is not just heaven where Jesus says he's going to prepare a place for you. True life can be experienced now. Life set apart from this world where you are living your true life now. There's a lot of books that will say if you just get in shape, you'll have your true life now. If you just eat right, you'll have your true life now. If you just say this wonderful thing to yourself that I'm special and wonderful, you'll have true life now. All those things aren't there. They're not quite enough. True life True life can only be experienced when you know the eternal one, when you know the one who satisfies your soul, the deepest longings of your your heart. That's true life. Take care of your body, yes, but true life can only be experienced in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that takes belief that takes trust. When you think of the way that Jesus reminds us that he is, I want us to focus on thankfulness. That God created a sure way back to himself. A a an absolute way that we could have relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's so simple, and we complicate it so much. We try to make a checklist. Maybe that's just me, but we try to make these lists of all these things we need to do or think or say. God wants your heart. 
He wants you to believe, simply believe in him. He wants you to commit, simply commit your life to him. He wants you to trust, simply trust in him. And as simplified as we can get it, it's the most worthwhile, difficult thing to comprehend with the rest of your life. But focus on the simplicity. What I like to think about is a, a passage in Colossians rings true so often in chapter 1. But it talks about Christ as the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus is the only human image of the perfect and blameless God. Jesus was the complete revelation of what God is like, both in character and in relationship. He is self-sacrificial for us. He is loving of every person, no matter what you look like. He doesn't care what your gender is. He doesn't care what color your skin is. He doesn't care where your homeland is. He created you that way. Isn't that beautiful? I think it must just make God look at us and smack his holy forehead sometimes. When he sees us arguing about different pigmentation, he sees us arguing about different genders, he sees us arguing about all these things that he created that he loves so much. And we got to fight about it. He loves each and every one of us, no matter your background, no matter your history. He loves you because he made you and he loves you so much. And we need to remember this. Amen. May we believe that God loves me and you the same. So when I look at you, I don't just see your color. I don't just see your gender. I see a child of God. That God stepped into, out of eternity, into that moment and formed you. And said, I made you just the way you are. And I love you. And I want to be back in relationship with you. I want to know you as my child. Will you know me as your papa? Will you know me as your father? Will you know me as your Lord and Savior and Messiah? So let's stop the arguing and start loving one another, seeing through the lens of God. Verses 12 and 13 in John 14 is where I want us to land. We have a great mission before us. We have an opportunity to understand That our time on this earth is limited, just as Jesus articulates in verse 12. But he wants it to be clearly understood that if you will believe in Jesus and you trust in him, that your works will please God as well. And he's going to be going to the Father. He's going to be leaving us on this earth. But he wants us to remember here This salvation is for all people. 
We are called to make a kingdom difference and influence those around us. Jesus is leading us towards the greatest moments in history. When all of the wrongs of all the world for all time were going to be corrected and fixed. There was a solution heading their way. Are we prepared? Are we ready? All of eternity was prepared for this moment. And God asks that you simply believe so that he can prepare a place for you. I want to end with this thought. Has anyone ever done an introduction for someone, a, a guest speaker or somebody that's coming to stand up front? When you prepare yourself for this moment, you start to learn more stats about them. Hopefully you know this person. But you, you list their highlights and you talk about the beautiful aspects of this person or the ways that they've blessed you or done fun things. And it's really a gift to introduce somebody well. You can read the list or you can tell the list. You can know the person or you can kind of know them. I want you to picture yourself. When I say that we are ambassadors of God, I mean it. Imagine yourself trying to be the one who has to stand up here and introduce Jesus. If Jesus was the guest speaker, I mean, I would quickly, I would take my chair and I'd go sit out there real quick. But if Jesus were the guest speaker and you got the privilege and the honor of introducing him, would you be able to introduce him well? Would you know him? Would you know some details about him? Would you know times when you'd cried out to him? Or would you just kind of know about him from a book you read one time? Can you introduce Jesus to this world? This world needs him. You need him. You need to know him. Because we're all going to have to introduce this world to him at some point. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love that is so pure and so good. You have called us to worship you. Help us to find joy in being known as Christians. Help us to find joy in knowing you, Jesus, that you would satisfy our heart's longing. Thank you, Jesus, for your love that is poured out on us in so many different ways. Help us to not brush things off and just act like they're nothing. Help us to pay attention. Open our ears. Open our eyes. We need to see you clearly. We need to hear you, Jesus. And then in turn, May we introduce you to this world well. Thank you for your love, Jesus. It's in your name I pray. Amen.